Luke eleven fourteen to twenty six. Eleven fourteen, and he was casting out a demon, and it was dumb, and it came about that when the demon had gone out, the dumb man spoke, and the multitudes marvelled, but some of them said, He casts out demons by Beelzebul, the ruler of the demons, and others to test him were demanding of him a sign from heaven, but he knew their thoughts and said to them. Any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a house divided against itself falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how shall his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul. And if I by Beelzebul cast out demons, by whom do your sons cast them out? Consequently, they shall be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own homestead, his possessions are undisturbed. But when someone stronger than he attacks him and overpowers him, he takes away from him all his armor on which he had relied and distributes his plunder. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. When the unclean spirit goes out of a man, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, and not finding any, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds it swept and put in order. Then it goes and takes along seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they go in and live there. And the last state of that man becomes worse than the first. In the previous context, Jesus has taught us to pray, to pray diligently, and even to pray for the Holy Spirit. Now we have a description of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, but also evil spirits and how we ought to consider the Spirit in relation to evil spirits. In verse 14, there is an incident. A miracle occurs. He was casting out a demon from a man, and it was dumb. It was dumb or mute. It made him silent, unable to speak. If we check the parallel account in Matthew 12, Matthew 12, 22 to 32, there it says that this man was blind and dumb, blind and mute. And so Jesus heals him, and he immediately speaks, and everybody marvels, it says in verse 14. This shows the truth that it is possible for men to be possessed by evil spirits, influenced by evil spirits, and even causing them to have these kinds of illnesses and maladies of blindness, dumbness, and various other ones that evil spirits can cause. Not to say that every disease is caused by a spirit, but some diseases are caused by a spirit, evil spirits or demons. Well, after this miracle occurs, and it occurs before their very eyes, it says in verse 14, the multitudes marveled. The crowds saw what was happening, but some of them in the crowd, 15 says, but some of them said, He casts out demons by Beelzebul, the ruler of the demons. They say, some of these in the crowds, and if we check the parallel accounts in Matthew 12 and even 12, 38 and uh, and following, and also other passages, that this is probably being asserted by the Pharisees. Probably it is the Pharisees saying this, some of them in the crowd. So, When they see a miracle, they see the power of God displayed, they don't want to admit who Jesus is, the Christ, the Savior of the world, 
Lord. They don't want to repent of their sins as John the Baptist taught them to repent. They don't want to do any of that. Instead, they would rather, instead of believing the truth and believing in the person that's standing right before them, believing in what he just accomplished by this miracle, which was not his first miracle. They knew of his miracles. Instead of putting faith in him, they have the audacity to say that he's casting out demons by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. The ruler of the demons, the prince of the demons, the chief of the demons, that's Beelzebub. This is another term for Satan or the devil. Beelzebub is another term for Satan or the devil. They do this to ascribe this miracle to the devil rather than to Christ. Now, this term Beelzebub comes from 2 Kings chapter 2. 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 1 to 16, where there is a king of Israel who sends his messengers to the god of Ekron, a foreign city, a foreign god. It's one of the gods of the Philistines. He sends his messengers, the god of Israel, who should be worshiping the true god, sends for a false god. Well, the name of that false god, Beelzebul or Beelzebub, that god became, the name of that god became another name for the devil. And that's because according to the Old Testament and the New Testament, Old Testament, 30, Deuteronomy 32, 15 to 17, and 1 Corinthians 10, 20, 22 uh, and following, they both teach that those who worship idols worship demons. So the Jews had another name for the devil, which was Beelzebub. And they accused Jesus of having this power, power over the demons because he is possessed by the chief of demons, the devil himself. This is the kind of blasphemy they commit against Christ. Instead of believing in him, instead they call him demon-possessed. Verse 16 but and others to test him were demanding of him a sign from heaven. Others, they already saw a sign. They already saw a miracle. It just happened. And they had seen many other miracles before that. Yet that wasn't enough for them. And they wanted to see another miracle. And it says they were demanding of him a sign from heaven. He already uh, performed many signs from heaven, yet they wanted another one. This is the insatiable unbelieving heart, the insatiable, stony, hard-hearted people, they always want more and more. They don't want to put simple faith in Christ. And that's what they do here. This group may also be among the Pharisees as well, because it says later in Luke eleven twenty nine that the crowds were, um, were increasing and there was among the crowd those who sought for a sign. And Jesus says, no sign is going to be given you except the sign of Jonah. And that parallel account in Matthew, Matthew 12, 38, says it was the Pharisees who asked for a sign. Then, verse 17, but he knew their thoughts and said to them, any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste and a house divided against itself falls. Jesus knew what they were thinking. He knew because the Spirit of Christ was, was, was within him and the Father taught him and the Spirit taught him. He knew all things and he also is deity, so he knows all things. Well, he 
presents this parable. Mark calls it a parable in Mark chapter 3. He presents this parable. Any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a house divided against itself falls. Of course, any kingdom, any nation that is in division, that is in conflict, constantly fighting each other, it will not last. The same thing with the household. When the members of the household are constantly at odds with each other, fighting each other, that household will not stand. That family will not stand. That is obvious. We see that every day. So he applies it to Satan, verse 18. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how shall his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul. The point here, you know that I am performing miracles against demons. I am delivering people from demonic possession. You know I'm doing that. So how is it that Satan, if I have Satan in me, that Satan is casting out devils, that the devil is casting out other devils, how could that be Satan is destroying his own kingdom that way? It doesn't work that way. You would not admit that Satan does that. So why are you saying that I'm doing it in, uh, by Beelzebul? That, how could that be? That's not possible. Because we know Satan is more wise than that than to destroy himself in this way. So verse 19. And if I by Beelzebul cast out demons, by whom do your sons cast them out? Your sons in this passage signifies the disciples of the Pharisees, the scribes and the Pharisees. They are called sons, just as uh, the true disciples have fathers and sons. Even false disciples have fathers and sons. Um, for example, Matthew twenty four fifteen. you travel about by land and sea to make one proselyte, and once you make one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. They make disciples by doing missionary work, and so these disciples are known as sons. That means that the disciples of the Pharisees were casting out demons because we do know and grant that God gives miraculous powers at times in order, in the name of the Lord, to deliver people who are afflicted. Not that they need to be believers to do that, but occasionally God does grant this power. So, their own disciples were casting out demons. Now, if their own disciples were casting out demons, he says, are you going to say that your own disciples are from God? And are you going to say that I am not from God? I'm not ca casting out demons in the name of God. I am not from God. We're both doing the same thing. We're both doing the same thing. So it must be the power of God at work in your own sons and at work in me. It must be the power of God. And if it's not the power of God, consequently they, your sons, shall judge you. They will tell you, they will prove to you that this has to be the power of God. How can you say it is otherwise? That we are performing. We're casting out demons. We're helping people. So it must be the power of God. And if your sons have to correct you, their spiritual fathers, then shame on you. They're going to be judging you. Verse 20, back to Christ. 
But if I cast out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. He indeed casts out demons by the finger of God, but he's presenting this condition or possibility. If I have cast out demons by the finger of God, finger of God is a metaphor for the power of God or the hand of God, which is also a metaphor for the power of God. And who is it of the Father, Son, and Spirit specifically performing these deeds? It would be the Holy Spirit. This is why in Matthew 12, 28, a parallel to this account, it actually says the Spirit of God. If I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. The hand of God or finger of God as a metaphor for the Spirit is also mentioned in the book of Ezekiel in a few places, chapter 3, 22, 3, 24, and 8, verse 3. In these places, Ezekiel parallels the hand of God with the Spirit of God. So Jesus says, if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. That means that if I have done it truly by the miraculous power of the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has been presented to you. It has been displayed right before your eyes. I showed you by all of these miracles and by the preaching of the word consistent with the miracles that God is present here. You are now accountable to believe in the king of the kingdom. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Mark 1.15. This is what he's preaching. Now they are accountable. Now they have no excuse. Everything has been displayed before their very eyes, has been preached before their very eyes. So they are now accountable to it. 21 to 22. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own homestead, his possessions are undisturbed. But when someone stronger than he attacks him and overpowers him, he takes away from him all his armor on which he had relied and distributes his plunder. We know that this is the case whenever one is guarding his own home, that if he has the, the, the weapons fully armed in order to guard his own home, then somebody who has lesser arms who tries to attack cannot attack because he is fully armed. He cannot attack su successfully. But if the attacker is stronger than the homeowner, then the attacker will defeat the homeowner. And not only will he defeat him, he will distribute his plunder. He'll invade the house, and whatever he plunders from the house, he will distribute to his comrades uh, who have attacked the house. Now, in this case, the analogy probably is that the strong man is the devil, but the one stronger than the devil is the Son of God. And when the Son of God attacks the devil, the Son of God wins. And when the Son of God wins, he distributes the plunder. Just as he won in verse 14. Jesus won against the devil in verse 14. This was a man who was afflicted by a demon, and Jesus overcame the demon. And what does he do with the healed man? The healed man now becomes a part of Jesus' household, Jesus' possessions. He, then Jesus distributes this man within his kingdom. It takes somebody stronger than the devil to defeat the devil. 
So if we're going to defeat the devil in our life, we need Christ in our life in every way. Then verse 23, he who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. He who is not with me is against me. Now he's presenting an either-or proposition. There is no middle ground here with Christ. It's either-or. These people who have just seen what he did and have heard what he's preaching and th these analogies he's making and the defense of his ministry that he is presenting to them, all of these people now are accountable and they must make a choice. They must decide who are they going to follow. They cannot pretend with the scribes and the Pharisees that they're going to sit on the sidelines and they're not going to follow Christ, but they're not going to, uh, to work against him either. They're not going to hedge. Um, that, that if they attempt to do that, that that's impossible. Even the multitudes, the bystanders, uh, uh, standers who are watching this and seeing this debate between Jesus and the Pharisees, they have to also decide, are we going to side with Jesus or are we going to side with the Pharisees? Many people don't want to make that kind of a choice. They don't want to walk across to the other side. They don't want to make the cor correct choice. They don't want to reject their friendships. They don't want to reject their familiar surroundings. They don't want to reject the people who have authority and the money. They don't want to reject those people in order to follow Christ. But Christ says now, whenever the kingdom of God has come upon you, whenever you know the truth, now it's a matter of whether you are with me or against me. Because if you are not actively with me, that's his point. If you are not actively with me in word and deed, then you are actually against me. If you are not actively with me, you are against me. If you don't speak up, if you don't have boldness, then you are against Christ. If you don't act righteously, then you. if you're acting in, in uh, timidity and you're acting in uncertainty, you're acting even in compromise and rebellion, then you are actually against Christ, he says. And if you don't gather with him, then you scatter. Either you are a gatherer or you are a scatterer. It's one or the other. It cannot be any middle ground. So he calls all of us to make this choice, to be with him and to gather with him, not to be against him and to scatter. Finally, verses 24 to 26. When the unclean spirit goes out of a man, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, and not finding any, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds it swept and put in order. Then it goes and takes along seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they go in and live there. And the last state of that man has become worse than the first. Now, the unclean spirit, that's a synonym for a demon, a fallen angel, um, a devil. These evil spirits, when they leave a man, they go to waterless places. Now, it may likely be that he's not talking about literal deserts or waterless places, but he's talking about that in a, 
unfruitful sense, in, a, in, a, in the sense that there is no place where he can go and benefit. There's no place where he can go and uh, imbibe. The spirit cannot go anywhere and wreak any destruction as though he went to a desert. He went to some place where there's no fruit that he can partake of. So when he leaves the house, that is the person, he goes back to the house. See, he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And house in this context is the man who was delivered. So he goes back to the house, and when he goes back, he finds it swept and put in order. It has become clean, and it has become calm for a time. Clean and calm for a time. However, when it returns to that house, to that man where he first was, this evil spirit, unclean spirit, takes along seven other spirits more evil than itself. Seven other more evil than itself. We may recall that Mary Magdalene in Luke 8, 2, she had seven spirits that were in her and she was delivered from seven evil spirits. As well, there was the demoniac of, of Luke chapter 8 and he had the name Legion for, its, for many demons had entered him. Luke 8, verse 30. It is possible, therefore, according to these accounts, for a person to be possessed by more than one demon. Seven, legion, many demons. Any number of demons. So, what happens? These other demons, more evil than the first demon, they go and live there, and the last state becomes worse than the first. The last condition of the man has become worse than the first. Notice here that it is possible for there to be grades of evil or degrees of evil. All evil is not the same evil, even among the demons. We know that to be the case even among people. We are all evil in a sense, but we're not all equally evil. Some are more evil than other people. And even the Jews were accused of this in John 19, 11. Pilate was about to deliver Jesus over to crucifixion, but he says, he who delivered me up to you has the greater sin. Those who delivered Christ over to Pilate had the greater sin than Pilate himself. Pilate was about to sin by ordering Jesus' execution, but those who perpetrated that and put on the false trial to get him arrested and get him executed, the Jews, they were worse culprits than Pilate. There are many examples like this. Another thing we have to consider here is some people may be delivered from a malady, delivered from spiritual darkness for a time. They might have their house calm and clean for a time, but then the devil and his demons overtake that individual and then for the rest of his life, he is in more misery than he was before. His initial condition was misery. He was delivered temporarily, and then he reverts back to his original condition, but even worse than his original condition. We have an example of that in Second Peter chapter 2. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 20. After describing people who 
practice sensuality and all kinds of greed and wickedness, he says. 2 Peter 2.20 For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and are overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would be better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn away from the holy commandment delivered to them. It has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit and a sow after washing returns to wallowing in the mire. Peter describes them just as Jesus does in Luke 11. He says, they escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. They first escaped because they came to know Jesus Christ. But then they are in, again entangled in them and overcome. Not that they had temporary sin of the, the old sort, but they reverted back to the old one and was, they were overcome by those old sins. He says the last state has become worse for them than the first. That's what Jesus said. The last state of that man becomes worse than the first. Luke eleven twenty six. Then they are described as dogs and hogs. Verse 22. Dogs and hogs. They are dogs who have temporary relief from the upset stomach because it vomits. But after the temporary relief of it, it goes back and eats its own vomit. And the same with a sow or a pig. If one pig is washed, what will it do when it has the opportunity to do so? It will go back to the filth. It will go back to the mire. Because that's its nature. Just like it's the nature of a dog to eat its own vomit, it's the nature of a pig to want the filth and the mire. This, this is describing people. People are like this. And how serious is this? How serious is this? He's saying this to the multitudes, including the Pharisees. He's putting them on notice. He's telling them, you better watch out. You have this truth presented to you. You know what the truth is. You better not go back to your sins and just pretend in front of me that you are clean and calm and peaceful don't pretend in front of me because it's going to be worse for you and you better truly repent right now of your sins. Because, as Peter says, it would be better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn away from the holy commandment delivered to them. It's better for them not to know it than to know it and turn away from it. Which is what Luke said uh, by quoting Jesus in Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. He says in verse 12, Luke 10, 12, I say to you, it will be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. Sodom and Gomorrah, they had the truth. Abraham and Lot were there. The truth was accessible to them. They heard the truth, but they rejected the truth. But they didn't have Jesus presented to them. They didn't have Jesus incarnate there, performing many miracles over a three-year period in front of them. But these cities of Galilee did, Chorazin, Bethsaida, Capernaum, they did. And so their punishment for the rejection of Christ 
personally rejecting Christ will be worse than Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah will be punished on the day of judgment, but Chorazin, Bethsaida, Capernaum, those cities will have a more severe punishment because they had more knowledge. That's the same as 2 Peter 2.21. They're going to have a more severe judgment. That's what Jesus presents. So after explaining that it is good and right to pray for spiritual things and for the Holy Spirit, for insight, wisdom, salvation, we better live up to it because we should not be like the multitudes and like the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, and the Herodians who heard the truth but turned away from it and then ascribed the truth to the devil. They make Jesus into a devil. We ought not to do that. Whatever Jesus says is right and true, and we should believe it. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Amen.